Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's Halloween, as far as you know. I've got Ryan and Nicole lounging on the couch with most of my stuffed animals. I don't have any of them on my person, but I think I'll survive. Absolutely. We've got three movies. We reviewed three movies for you motherfuckers <laughs> on this particular spooked occasion. And those movies are Mandy, The Barbarian Stown Studio, or however that's pronounced, and The Thing. 1983 one. Yes, the Carpenter version. Yeah. How many versions of that? Are there three? Well, there's some sort of prequel that came out in 2011, and then there's an early 50s version. Yeah, we watched the good one. Yeah. Yes. That is, that is, in, that is indisputable. But we are going to dispute it. All on right. this fine October <laughs> evening. Nicole, yes. pick a movie. Let's get this shit rolling. Well, I guess if we want to start with like the earliest film, we can kick off with like Mandy. Because this movie was supposedly in the theater when we picked it and not by the time we watched it a week later. <laughs> so Movie Pass is officially dead to us. Yes. Uh, movie Pass switched to a model where they're like, 10 bucks a month for... One movie on occasion, depending on which one we feel like debuting. In yeah. Ryan and I were at the theater, yes, about to watch Mandy in the theater, and it didn't happen. Yeah, movie pass incident. Yeah, so movie pass. Well, I'm so glad for, I just missed that whole phase. Yeah, no, oh. it was great for about two months there. Absolutely, and uh, it's over. The capitalist paradise of movie passes is over. Where are the libertarians to save us from this hell, David? What? Where they are, are they? They are funding Uber right now, as far <laughs> as I can tell. Why does Uber need more funding? What? Because they are the least profitable company in American <laughs> history. But enough about that. Nicole, what's Mandy? Oh, Mandy is a Nicolas Cage movie. I will briefly... Say no, say no more. <laughs> that, I mean, say that, no that, more. that at its heart is is really what it is. Um, as we expound more, we'll understand that the movie itself is a little confused. But we have Nicolas Cage and his girlfriend Mandy. They live in the Pacific Northwest in a very cute little Airbnb-style house uh, <laughs> with a lot of windows. This is circa 1983-ish. This is Ronald Reagan's America. This is definitely Ronald Reagan's America. And, uh, you know, we're led to believe that, you know, Mandy and Nicolas Cage have a very close relationship, but given that they live in a strange area, uh, there's a lot of cult activity going around. And It is the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and poor Mandy gets uh, picked up by some cult members, and it goes very poorly for her, and Nicolas Cage has to exact revenge on said cult members. That's basically what the movie's about. Uh, really, though, this movie is about atmosphere and feel. Uh, for a movie made in, in uh, 2018, we have all pretty, like, lo-fi, no-CGI effects. Uh, we use camera filters. The story really lacks in, you know, story development and pacing. Uh, it, it gains in feel and atmosphere, and that's really what you're watching this for. This movie has a lot of filters. Oh, Whenever God. they need to do something supernatural, they opt for animated productions. 
there are a couple of dream sequences where Mandy, who is burned alive very early in the film, relatively speaking, <laughs> um, and relatively, dear listeners, matters a lot here because yes. the movie that Mandy most reminds me of is another five-letter movie named Taken, mm-hmm. mm. where instead of Liam Neeson, you have... Nick Cage. The problem, though, is this movie takes like a solid 45 minutes before the action really starts. Um, and it's very slow about getting there. And the other problem with this movie is that it it goes in too many directions. I'm convinced this movie is two script rewrites from being the evil dead. And while watching it, <laughs> I I feel like I'm watching an Asian revenge film, but not quite. It certainly has that feeling of yeah. uh, the revenge of Lady Vengeance or whatever the hell the yeah, name of that well, movie that's, was. Yeah, well, that's the Korean thing. And then it also has like Mandy as kind of like spiritual accessory at the end. But then we're also uh, wrapped up in, in a lot of like great psychedelic scenes that are underdeveloped. Uh, this movie goes all fucking over the place. It's really, it's, you really just have to like kind of sit through it. I feel like the psychedelicism of the movie would have been better accentuated if they had known what any of the characters were going to be but up front. And, but they don't. So, so uh, the only way I can really like talk about this movie is just to take it scene by scene because not, or not take it by scene by scene, but just pull out a couple of scenes that like really stood out to me because the scenes all together don't really make a whole movie. But some of the moments are really good. And there's an excellent psychedelic scene where Mandy is kidnapped by these cult members. And we have like a little group orgy scenario where everyone gets down in some psychedelics. And these aren't normal psychedelics. The psychedelics in this movie are movie psychedelics. They make people go crazy. They're, they're completely unrealistic. There's a beautiful scene in the middle of this where Nicolas Cage snorts most a of a glass of full of cocaine full of cocaine and then licks yeah um this bit from a rasher of lsd and just goes on this insane trip like that's the kind of movie yeah. aesthetic we've got yeah, going like, there's on this here this beautiful like group tripping scene where they've kidnapped mandy and we like learn so much about these characters like we learn that the cult member is just really a really insecure incel that has to kidnap (laughs) women to sleep with them such a fucking dork we learn that mandy mandy does have some self-respect and can see through him um and we we learned all of this through a really like uh you know through a lot of filters and a lot of shaky cam and a lot of just kind of 3d auras the problem is none of that's important uh for the next following scenes of the movie because we just burn mandy alive and start taken sure absolutely oh and that's that's i think i timed it here whereas i got the number here uh to the point where the bathroom pep talk starts which is where if i were filming this film that's where the movie would have started. Now, visually, too, that bathroom scene, like... It's solid. I, it is. It's my screensaver right now. I was, like, that <laughs> impressed with it. It's it's just fantastic. The tiles, Nicolas Cage pouring vodka on his wounds. It, I mean, it's, it's excellent. One hour and six minutes into the film. But that's what I mean. The movie is just getting going at that point, and yet we don't know anything. All right. Well, I got to say, it's nice to watch a movie that doesn't 
that feels like it doesn't owe you shit. And that's what this movie is about, man. This movie doesn't owe anybody shit. <laughs> no, like I said, it's just, it's about feel. It's, it's, ra- it's got all sorts of little homages put into other 80s horror movies. Like, they live on Crystal Lake. Um, there's some really good, like, Reagan overtones where they're, like, overdubbing with, like, Reagan speeches in the be- Like, it has great feel. And you should watch it because it's a great atmosphere. But, yeah, the story is all over the place. I watched this movie twice. And the second time I watched it, I practically fast-forwarded through everything except for the chainsaw fight. (laughs) The chainsaw fight could have been longer. It could have been. But for what it was, it was quite good. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, chainsaws attacking each other. Cliff Blazinski also, had a thing going on. There's there. also a brilliant <laughs> scene because evidently, you know, everyone's getting this crazy LSD from this cook, so they have this amazing character, but he's used in one scene. You know, like we couldn't even have built any story behind like the cook who's providing this LSD that can evidently make people into like crazy. Slipknot characters? They don't even show him before that scene. No, no, we don't. I mean, why couldn't we have started out with the cult members maybe meeting up with the cook and having like a good exchange and kind of get this thing rolling from there? Like, like I said, there, there's plenty of directions, um, but they didn't really, you know, take any of them. No, I mean, I don't think it. I think that it allows itself to adjust the amount of like. Uh, the the shifts in tone, um, the the different movements of the film. I mean, the film's essentially a story in three chapters. Uh, each chapter has a distinction between the next one. I mean, I just am. It's weird because it this seems like a film that's made by a really confident director, right? Like this guy has, I think, a fucking idea of what he wants. He to definitely do. he ha- he has a firm like. His sense of style is right. firmly established. Like he he knows what he wants this thing to look and feel like. But I, I don't. I just don't think that he has to like, um, like bring down this like vision that he has for the film. I'm just like really struck by the way in which he has a very clear sense. I think he knows um, and uh, understands the faults that he that he's trying to come up against in making a movie this way. Um, but I just find that there's an embracing of not having to feel it has to justify itself through like exposition or dialogue. Oh, see, I almost uh, feel the opposite uh, to, to moderate its failings. Well, I almost, I almost feel like he's trying to pay homage to too many things. Okay. Um, which is amazing because the movie is very slow, despite all these different things he's trying to pay homage to. But I don't have a problem with that part. I mean, I, I I was I was just thinking that he's done and thrown in a lot here, um, and it's like filled up with a lot of stuff. Like the density of the thing and the the lack of any sort of like act. You know, this isn't a fucking James Bond movie. You know, like there's like we don't need a lot of fucking plot to like move this thing forward. So when this movie wants to like get going, um, it has it has a real simple allegorical nature to it, right? Like it. What happens in the film can be summarized in a paragraph, and not you not missing a lot. But like, when the plot of this thing is laid out to you, there's nothing that, like, if I told you the plot of this movie, mm-hmm. and then we went and watched this fucking movie, you would be like, 
why didn't you tell me I, I was going to see this kind of movie? Yeah. Like, there's no fucking, <laughs> like, there's no orientation of, like, what this thing actually is. And the experience of Mandy, um, I found to be really, uh, uh, really uplifting because... When we say that there's like there's not a lot of films like Mandy, we really mean that. There are n like nobody is making movies in this particular way. Uh, no one right would now. dare to make a movie this slow. Yeah. This well, movie is incredibly I was going to say sagacious, so would you but find that's the wrong thesaurus word. So would you find this movie to be I mean, I guess I guess the thing does move kind of fast cuz I even feel like pacing wise like the thing isn't like the fastest moving thing either, you know. No, it's li it's a little lackadaisical, but there are also so many characters that need to be developed, and there are a lot of themes. That's true. In the thing, I don't know if we want to necessarily transition just at this exact moment if we're going to be vignetting these mm -hmm. films. Well, I just would like to maybe put out one thing, which is the the boldness of his of his vision and the like. You know, he fucking goes for it in this thing. Well, he's un unapologetic in like, like I said, in like what, like what he wants you to see. Like, I mean, if the, he, this guy clearly wanted like a chainsaw fight in this movie, and goddamn, there was no amount of like story holes that was going to prevent him from putting that chainsaw. <laughs> like that was going to fit in there because that's what he fucking wanted. Yeah. The guy we're talking around's name is Panos Cosmatos. Yes. Yes. Um. Apparently an auteur of filters yeah, on cameras. Well this, well, this is his second major production, right? So yeah. this is only his second film. His first film was seven, eight years ago. And then he hauls off and makes this fucking thing. And I've... The the film, in its in, in the deliberate and, and ecstatic way that he has embraced his own vision, I mean, you would have to not enjoy the aesthetic feel of this thing initially before you'd want to buy in any further. Because I've got to say, I was, like, really hypnotized... Um, by what happened in it. And when this film really takes off is in these like, um, you know, when the, when the, the similar droning soundtrack comes on, I mean, this thing is essentially a fucking, uh, you know, metal tone poem. Oh uh, it yeah. Is, yeah. This is, this is at many points, this is just a metal video. Yeah. And I don't think it like has to like embrace that. Right. Like it's just, this is what I am. This is what this, this vision is. Um, and it just basically links itself into between these scenes uh, that allow it to fucking elevate. And um, it's trying to also draw you into the emotionality of it also, right? Like, it wants you to f buy in and experience um, the emotions because what happens in it, like, what happens in many horror films are fucking extreme things happen. Yeah. And actually, that was one thing. I actually found the violence in this to be a, a little bit more toned down than I was thinking, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that... Uh, we weren't working with any kind of CGI stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this was this was all just kind of you know classic uh, monster makeup style stuff. Mm -hmm. And now we're just venturing off, watching this bizarre movie in the background as yeah. uh, this lady sticks a strange bug into Mandy's neck for uh, you know psychedelic purposes and and that's it we don't know anything about this bug we don't know what kind of psychedelic it produces we don't know where they found this bug but evidently this is part of this small cult's deal and we just have to accept that he's got a formula Nicole and he's gonna work it I guess and we're back all right okay. hey everybody we're talking about Mandy here we're in the middle of the best scene of the movie besides the chainsaw scene <laughs> 
In terms of social commentary, I'd say this is the best scene at oh, the I, moment. I actually, I like, I really, really like this scene. I, I just, I, I wish that like I could like more of the movie as much as I like this scene. Jeremiah is attempting to seduce a new mistress, and it's not going real well because he's a fucking dork. Yeah, he is. He's playing an <laughs> album of his own music and listen, just don't do that to people. Don't, don't do, do it, it. Especially if you're going to then also reveal your junk at the same time for yeah, the purpose yeah, of listen, comparison. You're not getting laid <laughs> if that's your approach. No. Like, no one is going to take you seriously. Doesn't matter how many harlots <laughs> or how red the room you, is. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter how much LSD you're on. No, it People turns out... People can see through it. Yeah, they can. They can see literally at it and <laughs> laugh over and over again. Right. I love the laugh at the end of this scene is the redeeming quality of this I film. I love it too because it actually shows Mandy has some spine, which we don't learn from the first 45 minutes of the movie. And I find that disappointing because I just start to like her character... And then it doesn't go well for her shortly after this. It's such a slow goddamn burn. I mean, a lot of movies are like this pre-90s. A lot of movies feel the need to establish characters through these banal scenes. We've already reviewed They Live, which has about half an hour of just establishing characters before the capitalist plot presents itself wholly. Mm -hmm. um, and this movie is no exception to that rule, which is ironic because... The Carpenter film that we reviewed here, The Thing, doesn't have this problem. No. That movie's it, tight. Well, it actually, we actually know sort of what we're working with pretty early on yeah, in that movie. No, that, that movie starts with looking at the stars, moves to aliens, and then moves to a helicopter full of Norwegians shooting at a dog. <laughs> and The Thing. John Carpenter, a.k.a. Because, the thing. Yes, because that dog just may not be what it is, appears to be. It isn't, and I can totally understand why American audiences didn't seem to really take a liking to this film, because in literally the very first scene of action, shooting at a dog, yes. there are websites <laughs> in production at this exact moment detailing whether or not dogs survive mm -hmm. in films, and in the thing... The dog extremely doesn't survive. Yeah. Um, despite the best efforts of the Norwegians. Um, the Thing is a great movie. I had never seen it before. And um, the fact that we saw They Live as the first John Carpenter film honestly feels like a bit of a slight. Because even though They Live has a very poignant capitalist <laughs> message behind it, that movie sucks in a really great way. Yeah. Whereas The Thing... <laughs> Is actually a good movie. It's, it's pretty much a, a good movie. It is like it, I still I can't decide I can't decide whether it's it's a monster movie or a sci-fi movie. But that's really my only complaint about it. I mean, Kurt Russell is a great almost anti-hero in the film, and they they milk that at several points. You can't be entirely sure whether or not he's a good force until no. the very end of that film because they they successfully towed the line. Between, um, and even the end, between getting things done, even the end leaves it a little ambiguous. Just, just, just a little a bit. Little bit. <laughs> but, they, but I just, I, I love the degree to which Kurt Russell is not, is at no point obviously the good guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing that horror films I would think would be better at. But most of the time, they feel the need to have an audience surrogate. Right. And in that film, the closest thing to an audience surrogate is probably Keith Richards. Uh, mm. You feel reasonably sure, or Keith David? 
Keith David. They're, my bad. My bad. Keith David. Yeah, Keith David. Um, Because you feel reasonably certain he's not an alien at any given point. Well, and they're just trying to keep him down so much the whole movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and he is he, and he is and he is really fucking cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. dude, Keith David is always cool. Yeah, he's cool. Even yeah. when he's oblivious to the capitalist paradigm <laughs> around him, and you can't get the glasses on him. Hey man, some of us still aren't woke yet. It's all right. Yeah, but but again, we can feel the connection <laughs> <Yes>. there. <laughs> You always, like you we, always yeah, we understand. understand why he doesn't want to do it. He understands why this is bullshit. Yeah. At all times. And I really appreciate that. But then Kurt Russell comes in with his high cheekbones. Yeah. And we're forced to really. He just starts yelling at people because he's the guy that knows how to run the fucking helicopter. Um, and just to bring it in, because I want I wanna I wanna talk about these things a little more genre oriented. We're we were watching Barbarian Sound Studio, which store which Stores which stars Toby Smith, Percy, yeah, exactly. From <laughs> Tinker Tailor's <laughs> Under Spy, yeah, Toby um, Smith. Am I, is, am I am I trying to introduce this movie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, Barbarian Sound Studio plot wise is um, real simple and straightforward. Um, a British sound engineer named Gilderoy gets hired by an Italian movie studio oh, uh, to come and do the sound editing for this uh, horror film uh, that needs to be made and. Uh, I I I do not know really what more that. Happens well, let, let that. me just like, frame this for like, you. Like that's what happens. Like this yeah. this is what happens. <laughs> Listen, so good summary. During, Absolutely. During the first previewing of the Barbarian Sound Studio, two people in the room regretted not going into Foley work like yeah. fifteen minutes into this movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I was sent an email by an enterprising institution somewhere in Virginia, mm-hmm. enticing me with a dual enrollment physics and sound mm. editing degree oh wow well isn't isn't sound just physical <laughs> waves it's just air man yeah. it's just air <laughs> maybe that was their pitch i don't know i didn't accept it instead they i went, went into uf and then got a psychology degree so you know maybe i should have just done that yeah, you know? yeah. hindsight's 2020 yeah and barbarian hound sound studio is about 40 40 on my dial because i've got to tell you um what I this so this is my favorite of the three, and I love I like the thing a lot, and um, I enjoy apparently I enjoyed Mandy the most of the group as well. So all three movies were hits for me, and uh, it is you were responsible for picking two of them because we didn't know anything about modern horror movie. Like I I don't watch horror movies past like the eighties, right. so Ryan had to like provide us a list of stuff that was made within the last ten years. Yeah, and I don't watch them from. at all. So. Yeah, and I only watch them during Halloween because I find them stressful. Even if I end up liking them at the end, I, I build myself up too much. Yeah, that's why but, I don't do haunted houses either. It, but I mean, once once again, you know, another Halloween goes down, and another like you know, quote unquote, non traditional uh, horror <laughs> movies are, are the uh, fucking trifecta in this thing. <laughs> so we're <laughs> we're doing really bad. I mean, we've yet to I'm really. Sorry, I'm sorry yeah. we didn't pick Insidious. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Look, the thing is clearly a Halloween movie. Yeah. And um, Mandy, covered. yeah, Mandy's a, l- a little bit overboard, and Barbarian Sound Studio is, you know, borderline false advertising to a certain extent. Well, I mean, Barbarian <laughs> so. Sound Studio is is a straight up just like indie film, but Mandy is in many respects too. They they're both like pretty much straight up European indie films at their heart. Look, they don't have to fucking deal with the problems of like plot and uh, story and. No, these things are about feel and sound and. You know, just creating atmosphere. I do like the way Barbarian Sound Studio attempts 
to grapple with how contained an environment mm-hmm. a horror studio actually is. Mm-hmm. You don't ever see any film footage in Barbarian Sound Studio. It's na- it, the name is absolutely atrocious yeah, as far as movies rough. are concerned. But um, you you just get to watch the Foley work mm-hmm. and the the way in which Gilderoy doesn't enjoy being part of this entirely fabricated version of a witch hunt. Yes. Which is detailed over and over and over again yeah. in the plot. I love the way they, I, I would just stitch in an example of it here. Real 2, scene 28. Flashback to the priest pulling a witch's hair out during her interrogation. Real 2, scene 37. The dangerously aroused goblin prowls the dormitory and tries in vain to molest Teresa, who makes a swift retreat. Real 4, scene 66. Signora Colatina tells her students that the witches are back and that, regrettably, the massacres will continue. Gilderoy hears the woman scream ineffectually mm-hmm. into the mic and then has to cut into a cabbage with a knife, and he can't do it. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to be complicit in this fictional telling of this absurd, horrific story. And the way in which that is milk toast mm-hmm. is just beautiful. <laughs> it is the kind of thing that most movies don't truck with because they're too busy with dealing with real villains. Right. Mm-hmm. There are real villains in most films. Mandy has real villains. Yes. The thing has real villains. Yes. Barbarian Sound Studio, Gilderoy is getting over his own self-consciousness about yes. who he is. And he's trying to work with Italians, which culturally is just a disaster for him. That certainly doesn't help. Yeah. Yes. And, and- I love that as the primary tension of this film. <laughs> well, it's fucking really great. The the you know the the journey of Gilderoy. <laughs> this, that, that sounds, anyway, yeah, the, the journey of the main character in Barbarian Sound Studio. Um, it um, because at first and foremost, it's it's a it's what you know it's a movie that I have a tendency. A uh, source spot too, which is a movie about um, artists. Uh, mm-hmm. it's about, it's, this is a movie about someone who is a fucking creator. And it's a movie about making shit. Yeah, making shit and being like the the best at what you do. Like you know, there's a there's a point in time where there were no sound engineer degrees. You know, like people just went and did sound engineering until they be, yeah. you know they became experts in it. And the uh, the idea that Gilderoy gets brought in to do this horror film, but Gilderoy's specialty is not horror. Right? No, he, he does like children's shows. It is children's shows and nature documentaries from what we're led, led, we're <laughs> led to believe. That is so British. And, but then he like apparently comes with like sound editing the greatest nature documentaries on the history of the planet because, you know, he, I don't know if it's just because they're Italian or because he's actually great. But, you know, when he gets introduced to the director, it's he, the guy's like all kisses and all hugs and all excited about mer- meeting with Gilderoy, who we are led to believe has an incredible amount of talent at what he does. And... Uh, if you are able to recognize that in the film, I think it makes it a little bit easier to like buy into the two last two thirds of the film, which is Gilderoy's like fucking subtle breakdown in having to deal with making the sound for a film where terrible fucking shit happens in. Yeah, it. he's constantly having Fuck, to like rewatch man. these like horrible scenes because they we, you know, they, they let us know what's happening in the scene, and then we oh, see yeah. they, we see the murder of the innocent vegetables that are being used to add effects to these scenes. And, um, 
and it just it just keeps building up and there the tension between him and his employers because he's british and the set is so very very italian um like he just like he can't get a break anywhere like cuz nobody's cutting him any slack because he either can't communicate appropriately or he can't do his job correctly and it's it's just going fucking downhill for him well it adds it adds to the tension of what is actually going on in this movie right because what is fun about what is one of the most fascinating things is that you never as the uh, as the audience see the scenes in which he is making sounds for and of course it's a little bit of a fucking um you know it's it's become so obvious to us to analyze film but you know the the effects that are created in your imagination by not seeing something but being exposed to its effect um is part of what horror you know horror movies were before you were able to actually display the horrific acts that occur in horror uh and mystery films and so when you're not actually able to show them you are required to you know allow your imagination to stretch to you know make that unreal real to yourself while watching the movie and of course Barbarian Sound Studio has this like fucking in spades um, because all of the sound in Italian films had to be recreated so the dialogue had to be respoken um, you know every scream needs to be redone uh, and it needs to be the right scream that occurs within it and then you have to do all of the sound effects and when you have to like think about how uh, how you would make it sound if someone was being tortured by having clumps of their hair pulled out. Like, if that's what you have to imagine what that would sound like, you could begin to see why in the last two-thirds of this film, it's a it's a, a, ostensibly a psychological breakdown that he goes through in this process. Or at least a becoming, or a changing of his, of, of his personality. Yeah. He's being pushed through this process by the Santinis. Yeah. Who also assert not insignificantly that this is not a horror film it yes. is a santini film well i'm sure that yeah. the person who made mandy would not call this a horror film like well, this is you know this is a cosmatos or whatever the hell this is a panos <laughs> production oh yeah you know. this is a film yeah this is a film but you're but you're yeah there's no horror here it's just he's showing you the horror like it is it's it's a mood piece he tells him he wants it to sound real, right? He wants it to, he doesn't he doesn't want to overstylize it. And in a weird way, when he tells him that, it almost like makes it harder for Gilderoy to be able to like disassociate from it, right? Like if he was doing it for a cartoon mm-hmm. and it's supposed to sound inauthentic and absurd and ridiculous to get the effect because it's overstylized, well that would allow you some distance. And he's like, "No, no, no. I want you to I want this to be true." Right, so you he you know Gilderoy's having to like mimic fucking you know what sound something would sound like in in to manifest it for people and through sound and the film then takes this like structural approach to where it basically does away with any sort of like linear storytelling through the film. It has these segments where the plot is moved by his interactions with the other characters, and then you are exposed through the transitions in these from one moment to the next. Um, through these absolutely incredible fucking, like, filmic poetry that, like, just breaks out into this thing. And it has, like, reoccurring devices that allow you to kind of orient yourself within the story. The but, silencios. Yeah, the mm-hmm. silencio tr- uh, flashing that comes through, um, the uh, way we're led through the movie, how do you tell us what's happening, you know, how do you show us what's happening without actually understanding or seeing what's happening, was the... Uh, 
you know they kept putting like the real scene the announcer tells yeah. you the scene of what's ha- what they're making each time for and as it goes through the getting film getting more and more absurd horrible and fucking terrifying <laughs> and it just keeps building and building and then there's um all of the tensions between the female characters and the male characters um because there's this like you know trope of fucking um, yeah, because all the producers are obviously sleeping with the actresses, and this is creating some tension. Yeah, they're taking advantage of them. Yeah, and it's like that, and and the effect of this, like on this person, becomes what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. And it's not done for any sort of like resolution or story wise, right? The no one, you know, we we never know what happens to the characters the last time we see of them, right? It's just their last engagement with this main character, and once again, it is fucking really good in the way that it presents this. I think this film has a lot of fucking tact and uh, style to it. And uh, I remain impressed uh, to be speaking about it. It's a strange little thing it tries to drive a wedge into because horror films have a very traditional problem Mm -hmm. with a general audience, which is that a horror film needs to feel real enough for you to be scared by, but for it to have any real artistic merit it needs to be a celebration of life on some dimension it can't just be this dour observation and the way barbarian sound studio approaches this is interesting because gilderoy feels guilty to the degree that this is portraying a world he would rather not be a part of but the thrill of horror is that it's not real. This is one of those weird little things. If if the horror portrayed in a horror film were real, we would just watch war movies. No, no, no. It would not be. It would not be worthy of production. No, because it would be disgusting. It would be damaging. If the if, if it was a lie that looked like the truth. If it was viol- violence as a lie that looked true. You, it would be you. It would be snuff. You Why make it? It's disgusting. It's morally rep- it's morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Like it's fuck. Like it. It would be someone who. How, what would who could be a person who could watch that and not be affected, knowing or believing that it was true? Right. That's the problem with it. And so horror is once again when people talk about the violence not being realistic in horror films. That fucking course. Yeah, like that's disgusting. What? Why would you want to actually see something that looked true like that? Of what happens in these things? And we don't it, want people well, to go to war and experience that. We um, want them to experience a surrogate of that that produces certain emotions. Yes, but there's no, there is no point. There is no moral or social point in accurately pr- reproducing those things. Yes, yeah. so that's not what people. Because I, cause to be honest with you, like. I still have a hard time, like, understanding, like, the mindset of someone who enjoys watching horror movies a lot. Like I said, I, you know, I, I enjoy a couple this time of year, but this is not a genre that I go to outside of, you know, Halloween. Well, and that's a funny, that's a funny thing, because, Nicole, you and Ryan both, once every two weeks, almost reliably watch UFC. <laughs> And UFC is a fight, not to the death, but pretty damn close to it. Mm -hmm. And the way in which that portrays itself has to be different because you don't want to see those people die. I mean, maybe a couple of them you wish were dead, but you don't want to literally watch them die. That's not the point. No, because it's athletics. Yeah, it's it's in its own realm. And and horror is in the same realm. I mean, even though people are dying in horror films, it's not dying in the way that 
World War II or World War One more poignantly yeah. have this pointless absurdity to them, and we'll never review Saving Private Ryan, so don't worry about it. But but there is this there is this pointlessness and cruelty to real violence that these movies in fetishizing them they don't actually come close to it this is it's one of the strange things watching a beheading video Mm -hmm. watching isis um murder someone Mm -hmm. is viscerally different from the thing even though the thing has plenty of scenes where very 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 close up people are being mutilated oh yeah but the way in which it's treated is not the same it is somehow still different there's a gap mm-hmm. and carpenter managed to achieve this most horror directors managed to achieve this yes. nothing quite feels like the genuine article and it's good that it doesn't i guess that's that's why it's a genre that people enjoy watching yeah no that's what i mean there's obviously like people like this this vicarious experience of being scared or being in these terrible situations um like i said i don't i don't like subjecting myself to this like frequently um no we have to rely on ryan for this because yeah. i don't watch these kinds of movies either but i know i know there's a difference no, right. but, and well i knew and like i said and, but i also i know that there there is a demographic of people that like like i said they in Enjoy the vicarious experience they're getting from these, like way more than I'm probably enjoying myself watching these. All right, yeah. so there's, you know, I, I so I see basically the the best two, you know, artsy horror flicks that come out every year, right? Like I'm like I'm reliably, <laughs> uh, you know, reliable customer in that sense, and uh, but I also, you know, I've um so uh, with a Halloween movie coming out this year, I watched Halloween one through three, okay. uh, John Carpenter, John Carpenter's, Carpenter's. Halloween. Thank yes. you. Um, and uh, so, but I've been, I, this is a pure creation medium cinema. I mean, you can make movies where anything happens. Like <laughs> what? Like, let's like, come on. Like you can do anything with cinema today almost. And what is so outrageous is when you make a horror film, a film about supernatural, uh, the supernatural, um, or in this case, like with Mandy, and I think I'd like to bring this up. In the case with Mandy, you have just this story that's going to be told. And, you know, like if this was a Clint Eastwood movie, it would be some, you know, it would be done in the style you're familiar with. It would be a white dude going after revenge. Like, we've seen this movie before. Yeah. But God damn it, like this, this movie is not a revenge movie. Like, this thing has... When it what it wants to do with something that like is seemingly very reality based, which is that a man's wife gets kidnapped and burned in front of him by a cult, and he goes and gets revenge on the biker gang and the cult that kidnapped and did this to her. Like that's what this movie does. Yeah. So fucking like once again, none knowing none of that prepares you for what Mandy actually <laughs> fucking is, and the the what it wants to make happen. It fucking... I have not seen stuff like this before. Okay. Like, in this... When you take the horror genre seriously as something worth anything can happen... Oh, I'll, be, I'll shut up. We're uh, watching the Nick Cage get mad scene. In the bathroom. Which is where the movie should have started. That's fine. I didn't need anything before this. No, because they saw 
all, all, everything you need to know about the relationship, they sum up in the last minute when he's driving away from the chapel after he's taken his revenge. Because he imagines her sitting there. They have that scene where it's like when they first met, he's kind of like communicating with her spirit. But you get everything that you need to know about their relationship from that brief. See, um, once again, you're still you're still going at this movie like it like it, it's a plot conveyance. You know, like this movie is like we we when when he scream we are in with him with this scene. It is us. It, the camera goes out and goes in on him. He's looking at us right now directly before the scene ends. Like. This movie is putting us into this. Like we that that scene is a, your your favorite scene in this film is unnecessary by the same argument you're making. In no, the, I know that's what, what I mean. No, 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 no. That scene is important because it is Nick Cage getting <laughs> ready for the rest of the film. I, I I still see this as not being a Nick Cage film. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm beginning. He he is less and less a part of this film to me as it goes on. I don't need any other. I don't need any scene before that one. To justify the rest of what happens in this film. It's like Taken. The first 15 minutes of Taken are him or Liam Neeson acting like a normal person and his daughter being a normal daughter going off. his wife off. being a normal bitchy wife. I don't need any of that shit. Yeah. I want the first scene where someone is mad. That's the scene <laughs> I need because that's the scene so, I don't get to live in real life. Well, okay. I, I do under, I guess I do understand that. Here's what my biggest question about horror movies is, is like, why do they always come up short then as just being like good movies? I mean, is it because they're low budget? Is it because they we don't have to care about putting together a good movie? Like, okay, why I, do they always feel like they come up just slightly short? And I, I'm actually like, I think the Barbarian Sound Studio did a really good job because I don't feel like it falls under that. But I also feel like that's more of like an independent film than like a traditional horror movie. Look, it's it's got other you know, stuff and the going thing on. the thing really kind of stands a- alone because even Carpenter couldn't necessarily replicate how good the thing was when he did <laughs> other movies in that genre, and he did many. All right, I don't want to bicker too a little bit about the idea that like the somehow the overall success rate of great movies in the genre of horror films is being like just comparatively lower than other genres. I'm calling bullshit on that theory too. There are not a lot of great sports movies. There are not a lot of great romantic comedies. Like I'm Listen, listen, Deadpool is my favorite romantic comedy. Right. It's good enough. <laughs> I don't know, is Tag a rom com? I oh, can't God tell. God damn it. I like that movie. I thought Tag was pretty I good. I know, I I no, I'm down with you. And all right, so when when you go into the thing, which I think is clearly the the, the most different of the of the three, right? Like it the, is. And so the 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 tightness, uh, the 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 focus of the thing is impressive. Mm-hmm. That movie is goddamn locked into the way the story and the way it's going to pace the story. I like how it actually it reveals everything to us and it doesn't even hold it back. Like knowing that this thing is on the loose doesn't make it any less scary that it's on the loose. And what's the uh, that's the great once again the the the, 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 the subtle brilliance of the of the thing uh is that you are it allows you the tension of putting together what happens before the people before it's revealed to the characters, you're only just a couple steps in front of them. Yeah, and like the the that is a pacing, uh, that is a pacing thing 
uh, that the editing of the story accomplishes. Like you're you're just a couple steps ahead of them, and it just strings you along just with enough information each time around. And there, when the when the resolution, because uh, for example, I mean one of the one of the best tension scenes of the story is um, when they are trying to figure out who is the thing and. Um, you know, you, not knowing it, and you're having to like, well, how would we know? How would we know? How would we know? And the answer that comes up with is ultimately disappointing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, it's just a trick that leads you to the next plot point, but that doesn't fucking excuse you for what hap- needs is going to happen next. And watching it just being presented so so well, it just like there's there's very little wasted in the film. It it starts off immediately with a hot, like it's like like you said like like like. You know, view of the view of the uh, view of space, spaceship on Earth, uh, helicopter shooting, shooting at, at dog, well, yeah, yeah. Shooting, at dog. shooting at a dog, yeah, <laughs> like and right in dog into base, base where plot happened. Yeah, uh, uh, people what, people are getting shot yeah. within the first five minutes, and and of course, what, what where does the first little mini act end? Why why people shoot dog? And then we answer that question, like like this, just fucking like you you yourself ask, why are they fucking shooting at this dog? And the film goes and answers that for you, which then leads you to the next question that the film answers. It is the other brilliant. It's methodical. The other and brilliant, like, not like droning or boring or uncreative. Like well, this is no. what the is other cool about really it. cool thing about the thing. I think is the pacing of the scares yes. in it because it does kind of like it lulls you along to where you're following the story, and then like bam, you get some you know kind of twist, but like. It lets you go just long enough that you kind of forget about it, and then it like throws it back in there. Like I think it paces the you know the monster aspects of it really well throughout the movie. It doesn't save it all up to the end. It distributes it like very evenly to kind of keep you on the edge of your seat. That's my that's my biggest problem with They Live and with a lot of horror movies is that they they tend to have this ramp to tempo. Yeah. Where but, they, but then it you never. Them, but it, you, your payoff it never. It, 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 if you can get over uh, the part where the Norwegians are shooting at a dog, um, which apparently most American audiences could not, uh, based on the box office returns for this film, um, this this movie has a tense point right at the front, mm-hmm. and then it dips, and then 15 minutes later, they encounter the Norwegian base, and it's full of shit, mm-hmm. and then you know something's going on, so the latent the latent tempo can't go that much lower from that point forward but there's no there's no point in that film where you're not engaged yeah and that's impressive cuz no, very few movies pull that off well and especially horror movies which i guess their whole point is to keep you engaged to a level where you are on your seat about you know what kind of action is going to come next i mean the movie that i would compare this to is the one that I very recently watched. I forget what its specific name was. Uh, was it called Quiet or a Quiet Place? Quiet or, Place, yeah. Yeah, A Quiet Place, a movie about aliens that only respond to sound. Mm. And that movie doesn't pace itself nearly as well under a very basic, weird, ironic premise that the science of the film is a little suspect. Okay. Um, where sound itself is supposed to be what triggers the aliens, but you have to believe the plot when they say that things like, you know, location don't matter quite as much as maybe they should. Mm-hmm. And you have, there's, there's a lot of concessions that occur in that movie that don't occur in the thing, or at least don't occur on the first or second watch. 
Well, it, it's it's also done it in a great way too, which is that it's made a monster movie in which the victims are the monsters. Like it's so fucking cool the way that it just one you know like just picks people off. You know, like there's no sense well, that you've got something you could fucking get your hands on. You know, like and then the, but then the, the but then the the makeup and shape shifting like uh, nature of the you know monster in the thing is also like really cool. Yeah, you know, like it's not. Anybody could be the bad guy. Yeah. Anybody could be the bad guy. And that's that's an interesting... I mean, that shows up several times in the movie where it's the idea that anybody could be the turncoat and they have no way of knowing who yep. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't they don't linger on it, which is also good. No, because um, I mean, usually there's another problem because also, by the way, you forgot to mention this, they're in the fucking Antarctic. So, you know, <laughs> like, there's just this, like, just, like... I mean, it was funny when we were looking up the reviews and kind of learning a little bit about the film and the time it came out and shit. And the idea that this film is bleak really seemed to hold it back at the block at the box office. And this movie is bleak, bleak, fucking bleak. Uh, They called it nihilistic. And it's like, well, I don't know about all this. It's not like anyone's, you know, pulling rank when, you know, this like shape shifting alien is going to fucking eat us all in 36 hours. Like. You know, Don't be so negative, Ryan. Goddamn! Like, like new systems apply now. Like, we are, no one's no one's planned for this. Like, where's the manual? The Radio Man Windows confirms half an hour into the film yeah. that they can't they can't contact anyone. Yeah, you're stuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You spend the next hour, hour and a half, knowing that no one can help you. Yeah, I mean that's that's just the state and of affairs. And you have no idea which person could oh. be the. The yeah. thing, the, and then it's it's, and you're in a terrible climate. Like you can't go on foot. Like there's nowhere to go. <laughs> no, I've got to say though, it um, I, I, so when you watch other horror films that tr- try to build that sense of like, like possibility, but also, uh, I mean, part of the reason most films are stri- mo- part of the reason most films strive to be realistic, um, is because it you have to really have to uh, really be able to find a way to get people to accept as real when the impossible happens, right? Like this is what is very difficult in any sort of film, which is how can we make a lie seem like the truth, but yet not appear as the truth. And when you are in this like fucking really difficult position, when you're making the impossible reality, uh, you know, zombies, ghosts, monsters, uh, Mandy. Yeah, whatever they <laughs> yeah. are in man, you know, Christian cults. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're going to make the impossible a reality. Um, it is uh, that that challenge of having to do that is so fucking great, and I have been surprised with the different approaches that each film tends to take towards these uh, towards this fucking challenge. I think what we have here are very uh, good examples, all three of them of ways in which they have decided to solve this problem of making, you know, truth appear, uh, fiction appear as truth. And the thing does a superb job at having that classic realist take. At all moments you feel in this world, you understand its boundaries and its borders. And you, like I said, you, you understand just enough to get you one or two steps ahead of the characters and no more. And that is crafted well, well crafted, which have, upon having watched the first two Halloweens, uh, the first Halloween he directed, the second one he's a little more involved in, um, uh, you, uh, I was surprised the a leap 
from Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Halloween. Really? Like it is the ha- Halloween feels fucking really modern on okay. reviewing. And um the thing feels the same way. It feels like really, really modern to me. Okay. I mean, all three movies have a conceit for how the characters are trapped. Mm-hmm. The thing takes place in Antarctica, where mm-hmm. there is nothing outside of the base. The Barbarian Sound Studio takes place entirely within the Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah. And Mandy takes place in s- trees. Yeah, it's There's kind nowhere of, to go. Yeah, yeah. It, it, oh, they have like a specific, uh, it's like the shadow takes place in some mythical place called like the shadow mountains basically and there's a there isn't anything in the shadow mountains aside from like one general store i mean even nicholas cage had to be airlifted out of his uh tree logging job in the beginning and there are no i mean there are a million surrogates for this exact location where there is no civilization for yeah. miles around um all of them do this, and Mandy does it weakest of all, but we've also dragged on Mandy more than enough at this point to begin with, so Mandy is such a mood piece. It's it's so atmospheric. That's really what it is. It's all filters. It's very pure. There's no CGI in that film. No, and I like I, I do actually like I I, I did like that fact because I thought that It's very natural. You know, because I essentially read the synopsis, which was what you told me earlier, like, man's wife gets abducted by cult and killed, and he goes on revenge. Well, like, I was... This is my my also why I don't watch horror movies, because I'm always expecting, I guess, way worse than I'm actually getting. Like, the fact that, you know... uh, Mandy didn't have a whole lot of like CGI violence and stuff. It actually really wasn't as bad as I was thinking it was going to be going into it. Um, but that's just like my buildup is always really bad for these types of movies. It's gratuity is very compartmentalized. Yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, we're about to watch. But I mean, Nicholas these are all, Cage but these, deal with the black but, skulls. But yeah. these are, but you know, we don't see this guy doing anything. This is all costuming. Yeah, is really at at the end of the day. Well, no, I mean, he he's got to pick and choose what he wants to show you. Yeah. In, in Mandy, and what he ends to show once again the the, the over stylization. I mean, this thing isn't this thing is a fucking you know this is a movie as a symphony. Um, in in a visual sense, this movie is heavy metal video. Yeah, is what it is. Well, I, but I mean, like a. I mean, would be like it for an album, right? Like, yeah. like if someone made a concept album and they fucking filmed no, this. No, that's what this does. It feels like a heavy metal concept album, this movie. Fucking A. And like, it's about time someone made a movie like this. Like, this is, you know, like, we do not have enough heavy metal symphony fucking films in uh, in production right now. Death Clock promised this to us. Exactly. I thought there was a possibility for the success of this But you genre. said you don't like when they cop out with the animation, and Death Clock's all animation. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but that's that that's the right kind of animation. Okay. I don't I don't like the way Aunt Mandy animates. Whenever they have a dream sequence, it goes into a cartoon style, and I don't I don't like that. I feel like it breaks character with the film. I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of the scene that's going on right now, though, uh, where Nick Cage is attacking a man with a shotgun. Yes. By just being mad at him. You ripped my shirt, he said. Yeah. yeah. You ripped my shirt. Yeah. He, and his anger drives him to victory. He has two shirts in this movie, and he is very partial to both of them. 
A lot of people said this was a quintessential Nick Cage film, and I don't know that I necessarily buy that, because I tend to prefer Nick Cage's insanity when it doesn't really fit with what's going on. Do you think, okay, would you guys want to watch, like, The Weatherman for yeah, we can, <laughs> a we can, movie? We can, we can do that at some point. Scott or something, too? I, like... Like Mandy because is, it's a Nick Cage movie, but he's trying to play like a mostly normal guy. I mean, he doesn't do a great job at it, but it's great. I mean, in the in the halls of of, of Cage, I think this is. Um, I mean, all things considered, and I'm gonna get laughed at. I think a per- fairly reserved performance. <laughs> <laughs> like, Again, it's it, it fits with what's going on. That's why I like. That's why I like. Port of Call New Orleans so much. Yeah. Is no, that oh, he is, oh, his performance in that is way more over the top than it is in, in Mandy, even though Mandy's portrayed as such an over-the-top piece. That's the problem, is that Mandy... The expectation is that it's going to be over the top. No. Whereas in Port of Call New Orleans, it's totally uncalled for that he's this entirely drugged-out mother... The, like his whole performance is so intense in the face of so many completely laid back forces. Look, look, Nicolas Cage's performance in this movie does not have to be to the Nicolas Cage standard because the style of the film itself is an expression of Nicolas Cageism. Like exactly, it, yeah, like the, like it, like he is reserved, but the the film is very much Nicolas Cage. I know, and I don't like that. Oh man, I like him being out of place. Man, he can't. It's like John Malkovich being John Malkovich. You know, like he's he's gone in on himself here. Are we gonna review that movie? I fucking like that movie a lot. I'd love to. <laughs> we can get around to that one. Oof. It's been some time since I've seen oh, that hang one. On, just Face melting. Yeah, that is a. Yeah, there's a, a lot of like face melting psychedelic references in uh, Mandy. Listen, psychedelics are not any way, in, in any way, what this movie portrays. It's a very poor portrayal of what psychedelics actually but it, do. But it's it's Panos Cosmatos coming through with it, and the problem is I don't want I don't want the director to match Nick Cage. I want Nick Cage to exceed the direction he's given. I just, I'm just struck that you know, for someone to watch this film like an hour of the way in and be like, why isn't this film more realistic? You know, like, let it, like, what? Are, why are you watching movies like Mandy if you're like in this in this realm where it, where you're like, you know, wanting it to be like, it, it, you know, to have that to have those critiques to it? Because like on uh, and reading some reviews and and critiques. Like, this movie was very polarizing. Yeah, I, it's like really shocking to to say that like, well, why did they make a movie like this? And you're like, because it's not like everything else. Like that, damn it, that's the fucking point of this thing. And uh, to be presented with something that tries uh, as outrageously to and 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 singular singularly in its vision, like, ah, damn man, like let's let's do this, like let's let's go on board. <laughs> And Barbarian, okay, so let's. I want to, I'd like to bring up one quick thing about Barbarian Sound Studio, and we can see where we end up with it. It also, in the way that it tries to per, per, portray the uncanny, right, to portray the impossible, uh, it takes its own little approach, and rather than going through excessive um, representation of violence, um, it instead allows its editing and sound uh, to move between these scenes of what drives the plot. And for Barbarian Sound Studio, the um, stylization of how it orients itself is very well done. Uh, and the way that it reveals character, I think is also really awesome. So um, what I'd like to maybe just ask you guys, 
Um, were there any? Was there anything in particular about Barbarian Sound Studio that like stood out to you? Was there something that like you were thinking about after you saw it at all? Or I just really enjoy. I just didn't. I enjoyed it. Like I. I, my joke is like Barbarian Sound Studio. Like the stuff you see in Mandy is all the stuff you don't see in Barbarian Sound Studio, and then it ends up being a better movie because of it. All right. So what is it about? Like what in particular did you find affecting about it? Because if you're saying that, then it was able to convey something to you without having to sh without having to show it to you. Well, that's what the whole gimmick of the movie was, though, and it did a really fucking good job of it. Right. And I do like. Um, I like how, you know, because that one goes back to, uh, you know, period-wise, it's going to, like, that early 70s period, which mm. is a period I like aesthetically anyways. Um, so I just... I, I thought it did an excellent job of portraying gore without mm. ever actually having to watch anything gory. Right. Um, you know, because we're, we're just... We're experiencing the horror through Toby Smith. Mm -hmm. Is that his name? Yeah. Okay, yeah, th you know, like, through him and, like, through the sound exclusively. And the movie does not, like, the movie doesn't lose anything by right. not having the visual component of the horror, like, not included. I love that Barbarian Sound Studios' entire job is to show how you have to bottle agony mm -hmm. to make those films. <laughs> and... The sound studio, the literal sound studio, is a three-foot-by-three-foot three box where mostly women and one crazy guy mm -hmm. go in and record screaming or sound effects. Mm -hmm. And I love that that is just... And granted, this could just be a documentary. It didn't necessarily need to be its own film. But I love the... <laughs> I love the more cinematic take of watching these people try to evince as much horror mm -hmm. as they can in this little box right. for the purpose of film. And as someone, as an amateur cinematographer, as an amateur audiographer. Everything, Yeah, basically. as an amateur everything. I enjoy that part of the film. It's, it's the thing where you need, you need some degree of authenticity to go with your theatricality in order to make this thing that, based on all of the descriptions given by the narrator, the movie they're making is going to be terrible. It's going to suck. <laughs> like, it's just this incredibly vile, stupid Italian film. But everyone there is fully bought in in the exact moment in which it is their time to perform, even mm -hmm. if what they come up with is insufficient and that's my favorite thing in the film are the women who are being told to scream and they can't evince a convincing scream because everybody knows what a scream is supposed to sound like <laughs> because of based on movies we've watched based on movies we've watched <laughs> yeah. and none of these women can manage to get into the register that we expect screams to yes. be. And the directors are not willing to accept that. Mm -hmm. And that's just a beautiful clash. Yep, absolutely. Because this is how these women would scream in the event that something dire or horrible was happening to them. They would scream in this slightly lower register than we're expecting. Mm -hmm. But that's not that's not good enough. Nope, it's not. No. That's not good enough for real. That's not good enough for the reality that needs to be portrayed in horror. And I, that little dichotomy, that like tiny little, 
that, that is such a nuance. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That's the kind of shit I love in that movie. The film is fucking playful too. In barbarian sound studio, it's fucking playful. It, um, it plays with your expectations about what you're, what is happening very, very well. Just the, the fucking, work dynamic fuck, is fucking like hilarious in that fuck, movie. Man, like it, and the, the, so my favorite scene of the film is one of the most revealing about the Gilderoy characters uh, and how he, how he experiences um, the world and why he's so good at reproducing it. And so they're like the powers, the, um, the studio goes through fair, regular, like power cuts, power failures, and like every, all the lights go off for yeah. a period of time. And we Italy. like, and, and it, in inexplicably, we have this scene just fucking, morph out of one of the transitions of uh, or they're not even montages they're fucking these long tra- transitions uh from the studio to his apartment to something back in the studio to his apartment and one of these transitions um this woman comes out of the the darkness with a candle um you hear rustling of footsteps as if they're on like dried grass and twigs um you know, you hear crickets and are chirping, and you are uh, then led to you are led into the scene uh, with him, and he reveals a lot about what he, uh, about what sound does to him and why it's so fucking personal to him and why someone who experienced sound very subtly and sensitively would be fucking great at his job of being a fucking foley artist. You know, like that's why he's you know he's great at it because he fucking experiences sound in an incredible way in a way that is artistic and that you know for like normal people who would say like sound sound what the fuck do you mean like then you've clearly lost the fucking point and you should probably turn this podcast off because that's the goddamn essence of the inspiration that so many people are so desperate to find and we're uh, we have a film about a guy who is that it's just like but he's a sound guy for like nature documentaries, you know. <laughs> well, but, but he, yeah, he's still, you know, he's still just kind of a tech nerd. Well, but then, but at the like, but we're led to believe to be at the at a a great tech a great technical person, right? yeah, like someone who is great and brilliant at what he does. And it is so outrageous how this film just becomes this bizarre psychic fucking expression. How it just like goes in and in on itself in an incredible way. Um, that I find really fucking brave. Like I know, like to call it an indie film means that no one felt secure enough in the in investing in it to give it any more money, right? Because it was risky. Like do, going so far away from standard, you know, narrative uh, narrative plot structure to go away so forcefully from any sort of, you know, linking of scenes in any sort of conventional sense. Like Rebarian Sound Studio, by thirty minutes in, you fucking realize that what how this film is made is not conventional in the slightest. Mm-hmm. And I was really fucking turned on by it to a, to a certain extent. I watched the film. That was a great pick. I watched I, the movie, I I watched the movie it. six times the past couple of days. I, don't think I, I did not watch that, it that much. I've only watched the movie that many times in a, in, in a couple of years. Lou's in the house. Lou, what's your favorite of the three movies we picked? I like the Barbarian Sound Studio. Ow! Why do you like that? We're just going around talking about why we like that movie right now. Oh, really? Yes. I liked it because it wasn't a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> Some good criteria yeah, there. Absolutely. Well put. Well put, sir. Well put. Ugh. 
Is there anything else we want to cover necessarily? I I feel like we've pretty much covered it. Right, if we're going to do this again next year, I'm looking forward to it. I can tell you that much. I feel like horror movies are real personal too. Like everyone like has their own like flavor and tolerance for what they're into. Yeah, when done right, it's a fucking great genre. I'll be on, I'll be frank it with you. It just seems like there's so few instances to really like pull from in terms of greatness. Excellent. Well, I look forward to watching them all with you next year. <laughs> Again, we'll I start would, that list now. I'd consider the thing to be among them. I I was surprised at how much I liked that movie. Yeah, it no, that one's enjoyable. That that but, you know, it also fits my criteria where like we're like, you know, up through about 83, you know, the 70s to about 83, like, shit was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to have to do a deep dive on that, because you get, you guys keep, abs- like, asserting that, that particular it just It's just, is. like, all the best movies were made during Isn't that, that like time. is the, uh, the, the golden era of American film? Well, it was when... It was when American film was like at its grittiest. American and then, film got real in the seventies. Yeah, dog. and then and then like the mid eighties came and it just kind of dissipated. And then we had a little bit of like a indie push in the nineties, and now it's just a disaster. Now we just watch comic book movies. I mean, I don't, but no, but I, I mean, I mean, other like people, people beach. watch. Sure comic book movies other people well they're the ones making the money anyways i mean i would have never known mandy was a thing if ryan hadn't sent us that list of movies made the last five years that are categorically scary supposedly <laughs> yeah suppose yet to be confirmed because we're not apparently we're not doing zombie movies that's one thing we're not doing i did like that genre until they oversaturated it there were quite a few of them. So where are we on to next, gang? It's November. So are we going to try the... Uh, I thought this was epic month. I could Well, I could think of some Harvest epics that I'd like to watch. I thought Lawrence of Arabia was this month. Yeah, that is this month, and it, it will take when, us about this whole month to watch when it. When is... Isn't long. that one, like, at a theater this month? Yeah, coming up in November. A couple weeks. What, what, what day this... Uh, this weekend or the next? I have no idea. This weekend? Oh, God, plot. I've got, like, a business... A, appointment saturday so if it's saturday morning this week it's not good for me not appertaining we'll figure it out okay i don't know hopefully we'll probably... 103 inches is enough for yeah, watching we'll, lawrence of we'll arabia watch something really long and epic i think yeah i think that it's probably makes it's sense. time yeah. yeah no well if we stick on where we're at lawrence of arabia and, and uh, days of heaven I think yeah i would are... like to watch days of heaven yeah. i know you had brought up the wicker man oh that's, not that's not that's the nicholas cage version that one is not epic as af yeah the original wicker man is fucking epic yeah i mean not well that's a, like, got christopher filming. lee so yeah. that's essentially makes it a horror movie right there christopher lee god i haven't seen him in a movie in a while oh watch the what's wicker man it up yeah so we'll you know we'll pick something from from that cornucopia of film <laughs> All right, well, that sounds like more than enough to cover November as far as films are going. Ryan. David. So, November, as we all know, is the no blank of months where you can fit anything into that title oh. that you want. What are you abstaining from in oh. November? Oh, just coincidentally, I'm, uh, we're doing keto in November, so I'm no carb, no carb November. So, no carb November. No carb November. Can, is it possible to exist on eight grams of carbs a day? Someone else will find out because I eat 35 carbs a day and it's remaining keto because I'm awesome. 
Amazing. Yes. Nicole, what's your no what's your no November? Oh dear God. I already did like a drastic reduction of my drug use. Do I have to keep reducing it? Yes. I, it entirely depends on how much peer pressure you're feeling. Oh god. It's a big ask, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Sober October was a success. Yeah, like I said, I'm I am soberer than I have been. Soberer Octoberer. <laughs> Less soberer November. Like I am yeah. not high right now. All right. Unprecedented. It's at unprecedented. Least, <laughs> at least there's one of us in this room <laughs> that could drive away in the case of a fire. <sighs> uh, I don't know. I'll think of something. I'm taking up running, too. That's like the reverse of abstaining. It's so, taking up something you hate to learn right, more so about Nicole, yourself. Nicole is doing No Walk November. <laughs> Excellent. And for mine, I'm combining all of these, and I need this as part of my peer pressure exercise. Ryan. No walking carbs November. What? I David need... has to abstain from drugs, carbs, and start running all in the same fucking month. And in order to kick that off, Ryan, I need you to tell me I'm an alcoholic. Uh, David, you've got a problem. I'm really concerned about your the level of your drinking. Um, David, you're an alcoholic. Nicole. I need you to tell me that I'm an alcoholic. David, you have been bringing rather large bottles of hard liquor to movie nights of late. I You're, will say, I do not recall a time in the last six months where you haven't had a drink around And none of you are wrong about that. <laughs> which is why I needed that confirmed on the record. And thank you all for it. It will be no drinks... No weed, no carbs, no walking November. <laughs> All up in this bitch. All right. Where's the accountability here? Do we have to do we have to come and check yeah, on you? Put up a toe. What? Put up a toe. You don't either do that or you lose a toe. All right. Uh do I get to pick which toe? No. Ooh. Fuck. Damn. Yeah, we gotta make this shit. Fuck. How is he gonna how is he gonna run if if we cut a toe oh, off? Oh god, that yeah, that would hurt. Oh, the best thing That's is part of the punishment. Yeah, right? best thing is chasing after. I guess you better follow through. Oh yeah. Jesus. Best thing will be chasing after his drunk ass to take get it. Come if on. we film it, will oh. it be too realistic for people to watch? I no. I <laughs> not for YouTube anymore. That's true. As long as you don't voice like leftist opinions, you're pretty much good. <laughs> on what YouTube. if we play Jordan Peterson like quotes behind it? As long as you're not in favor of raising taxes. YouTube really doesn't care what you put on their service. So, um, with that in mind, uh, happy November, everybody. Watch the thing. It's pretty awesome. awesome. Watch Barbarian Sound Studio, or that's Listen. the name of that film, right? Yeah, yeah that's it. pretty good. Uh, Sound Studio. Ryan it's on Hulu. You, yeah, it is. It's on Hulu. Yeah, you can get it for free on Hulu. Uh, and Ryan recommends Mandy. Uh, yeah, pay for it, please. I, I like I said, it, it's got problems, but atmospherically, I do enjoy it a lot. Just start at the one hour mark. You'll yeah. be fine. That's, that's a sounds like a good piece of advice. <laughs> no, you should watch the first hour twice and then watch the ending. Don't fuck around. Right. Don't, don't do that. And don't watch the ending. Whatever you want. <laughs> or just don't watch it. Yeah. I mean, really, there's options here. Don't watch anything or watch a lot of films. Films are awesome. Woo! Ryan, Nicole, yes, and Lou, thanks for being part of the Magination Log. Good morning, everyone.